Hey there, I'm Nathan Egan. This is The Working Actor's Journey, and hope you're doing well out there today. We have another Q&A episode with Ursula Meyer. She is a voice teacher and currently the head of graduate acting at UCSD. And I'm really thrilled that uh, we get a chance to talk to Ursula. Much like the Q&A that I did back with uh, Gideon Rappaport, this is another role that is sadly very often overlooked uh, in a lot of productions. People don't think about, oh, right, I need to be able to use my voice, use this instrument, keep it strong, keep myself healthy, use it uh, so that I can communicate the text clearly, whether that's Shakespeare or anything else. So I'm really excited uh, that uh, Ursula can bring to light some of the really wonderful things that uh, voice work can do for you as an actor. So in this Q&A, you'll hear a lot about what voice work is, what she does with it, her viewpoints on it, uh, and uh, you even hear some questions live from some of our current workshop participants. And if you're not part of the workshop, you have a chance to see the fruits of all of the labor in four nights of Shakespeare scenes, running from February 8th to February 12th. We have scenes from A Midsummer Night's Dream, Julius Caesar, King John, and As You Like It. And like always, these have a number of really amazing professional actors and directors working on them for the month. Uh, it's just really, really fantastic work. So you have a chance to sit in and watch these scenes and learn more about these scenes and see the process of what it's like for an actor to work with a director, a dramaturge, and a voice coach. Uh, and you can go to workingactorsjourney.com slash performances to pick up your free ticket. You can go to any of the four nights, all four nights, uh, and you'll also get a replay to watch if you can't make it live. Now, quickly back to Ursula. One of the other reasons I'm very excited to have this Q&A is because when I did a survey of many of the listeners here and people who have either done the workshops or were interested in the workshops, voice and voice coaching was at the top of the list of what you wanted to hear and know more about. So I was really thrilled that I could connect with Ursula, uh, involve her in these workshops where she's working one-on-one -on -one with a lot of the actors, uh, and then open that up to all of you so that you can hear what it is uh, that uh, you might want to be thinking about working on. So a quick bio on her. Uh, she's had the privilege of studying voice with Cicely Berry, Patsy Rodenberg, Andrew Wade, Arthur Lessig, and is a designated Linklater teacher. Now, for those of you who read acting books and, and know about the acting world, many of the names I just mentioned are landmark people in the industry. So she worked directly with them. She also graduated with distinction from the Advanced Voice Studies Program at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London under David Carey. Before coming to UCSD, she taught voice, speech, and accents and text at UC Santa Barbara, UC Santa Cruz, University of Washington, and four years as the primary voice teacher at the Yale School of Drama. As a professional voice text and accent coach, Ursula has worked at numerous regional theaters, including the Guthrie Theater, South Coast Rep, Yale Rep, the La Jolla Playhouse, the Old Globe in San Diego, the Shakespeare Theater Company in D.C., and the Idaho, Santa Cruz, Utah, and Oregon Shakespeare Festivals, where she has been working off and on since 1985. As a professional actress, she has worked extensively in regional theater, including the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, ACT Seattle, Seattle Rep, Milwaukee Rep, and the La Jolla Playhouse. 
So again, you can sit in on the live scenes February 8th through 12th and see the work that we've all been doing. Uh, But what we're also excited about is I'm launching a new coaching system where you can book time directly with many of the actors, directors, teachers, and coaches that either you've heard on the podcast, seen in the workshops, maybe you know about their work from TV and film or on stage, and now you can work directly. Everything from working on Shakespeare to auditions to singing, uh, we're really thrilled to be able to bring this to all of you. So you can go to workingactorsjourney.com and learn more about the coaching stuff. Uh, and yeah, just really, really excited about that to, uh, again, connect you with all of these amazing individuals. They have so much to share, so much they've learned. And you'll hear from the Q&A that uh, Ursula just has a wealth of information. And uh, what would it be like for you to be able to work on a piece for an audition or something you're doing in a play and to know, to have that confidence uh, in your voice that you can not only communicate clearly, but sustain that effort. Uh, as we talk about, that was something I definitely thought about in a, in a role in a production that I did. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, no, it's a great conversation. One last time, you can go to workingactorsjourney.com slash performances and pick up your free ticket to the four scene nights of Shakespeare we're doing February 8th through 12th. You can attend live. Uh, they all start at 5 p.m. Pacific, or you'll be able to watch a replay afterward. And uh, that is it. No more from me. Please enjoy this chat with voice coach and teacher Ursula Meyer. So how, how are you doing today in the, on this uh, rainy, rainy uh, San Diego, sunny but rainy San Diego day? And windy. Uh, yes. I had just started teaching in the tents at UCSD, and uh, I had a feeling, so we said, let's do a Zoom tomorrow, um, but then we got an all APB bulletin, please don't teach in the tents, <laughs> because the, um, the tents themselves will stand up, but chairs, tables, things are turning over, um, electronic equipment, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, so... What, uh, so you guys are doing like outdoor, uh, acting classes and, and, and all this well, other stuff? I teach voice and Shakespeare and, mm-hmm. uh, and so, yes, that's, that's, uh, and it's all masked, but right. it's amazing how express, I've never, I don't really look a lot at people in the street when I have a mask on because I'm trying to keep safe, but uh, it's amazing what the eyes can do. Yeah. Um, in communicating complicated Shakespeare text if, uh, without having to, uh, and also how clear you have to be when you're wearing a mask. Right. So, right. Uh, but having everybody in 3D, having people to really try and affect, having people, you know, I play a lot of Sicily Berry games where people might start to close in on you or, or you have points of focus and uh, all that um, really is much better in person <laughs> or, or much easier in person to really identify different places to send your energy. So. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm really thrilled that you had a little bit of time to just give people a, a peek into, you know, what what this voice work is and, and what it is that you've spent much of your life doing. And, and, I, and I thought that might be a good starting off point is for people that may be unfamiliar, you know, seeing, you know, a voice coach on a production or, or having, you know, someone 
focus on voice. I mean, of, of course, if, even if you do community theater, you know, you have the director, someone building sets, uh, lights and all this kind of stuff, but you know, you may not have a voice coach, uh, on staff. And so what, how would you explain, you know, what the vocal coach or voice coach is responsible for within a production? Very good. Huge question. And, uh, one that we get asked a lot, um, uh, there aren't a, a ton of places in the country where it's an integral part of the process. Oregon Shakespeare Festival is one. They have resident voice coaches who are hired all year long. Um, Stratford is one. There are certain companies that will hire one for every production, Shakespeare mm-hmm. Theater Company in D.C. Um, in the regular theater, a lot of times they don't call us unless uh, there's a sophisticated accent or or a set of accents, and then the voice coach would be the accent coach. Um, I uh, often got hired um, at the La Jolla Playhouse if somebody, uh, you know, needed their speech to be clearer mm-hmm. or they needed to make the sound of a, a hunchback of Notre Dame, for instance, whatever right. that, that, that noise that, that sound mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. of the hunchback. So I would start out, you know, maybe coming in a little bit and then they would start to see that I, they could, I could be used more. I mean, bottom line, um, clarity and audibility, if there's no microphones, which there are more and more these days, but, but that's a biggie. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say I should be paid the most because audiences, if they can't hear or understand, that's bottom line, right? Right, of course. So I should be paid more than anybody <laughs> uh, because I can make sure that happens. But then there's a whole list of things. I mean, apart from Shakespeare, um, you have to play a man and, uh, or you're double cast in two different roles. You have to sound different. You have to yell and you don't want to lose your voice. You have to yell, uh, get very, very emotional night after night, and and you are losing your voice. Uh, the inc- I'm going to drop a few names here. Bill Camp, who people might not know the name of Bill Camp, but they know his face. He's in everything. Uh, um, came and did um, uh, the Dostoevsky play, Notes from the Underground. And he had just workshopped it at Yale Rep, and then he they did a full run here at the La Jolla Playhouse, and he said in his contract, I have to have a voice coach. It's a one-person show. I'm on stage for 90 minutes. Uh, I mean, there were a few other people in it, but basically it was him talking, and he said, mm-hmm. I will lose my voice the third day. And sure. so I worked with him on how we get him water between scenes. To, to, so vocal health is a biggie. Um, how I can keep, how I can help somebody get variety so they're not shouting all the time. Sometimes I work with the design people, especially sound designers. I say, I'm a sound designer too. Um, and, uh, and they'll want to do an underscoring that's pretty loud over, you know, the plot or the exposition that says what's going to happen. Right. And so for instance, when I worked with Scott Ellis on Comedy of Errors at the Globe, he wanted a saxophone playing during a very important seminal speech that tells the history of the twins. Mm. And I said, okay, let's work together. Here's where the saxophone can come up louder. Here's where it has to go away. Two twins separated at birth. We have to know that. So then we right. just, we, we orchestrated it together, the director and the saxophonist and I to, to make sure that the information, uh, got clear. Another time I had, um, did blood and gifts at the La Jolla Playhouse at there. The sound designer had found this actual 
Afghan, um, a recording of a, of a, of a kind of a weird hockey sport that they have. I mean, it's not weird there, but it, but something very unusual to our ears of donkeys that race, a donkey race, and it's very loud and very fierce. And he wanted it to get louder and louder and louder as the scene went on. And again, I, I had a, a wonderful actor who is so gifted with powerful, powerful sound. And I said, if you can't hear Trini, you can't hear anybody. So, you know, he's, he's as loud as I can ever ask an actor to be. And, uh, and so what can we do? So working that, cause he didn't want it to stop and leave. He wanted it to slowly get louder and louder, but could it dip when we've got the information? So, so working with designers, sometimes I work with costume designers to say, can he take the hat off at some point? Cause the hat covers his face and shades it. Sometimes uh, movement people will want the person to be dancing while they're doing something important. How can we orchestrate that or get them to be able to breathe and dance and speak at the same time? Um, so I'm, I, I do a lot of collaborating, but then also beginning of a show, particularly with the Shakespeare, there's a lot of pronunciations that not everybody uh, is in agreement on. So I work with the director and my trusty pronunciation guides and my historical knowledge of how things were pronounced, and we come to an agreement about all the names, all the difficult words, some words that we don't say anymore, that people don't know how they're pronounced anymore. Um, and I make a pronunciation guide with sounded out phonetics for people that haven't had phonetics and right. actual phonetics for people that want that specificity. Oftentimes I'll then make a recording. Some shows have characters who speak other languages. In Blood and Gifts, the, the diplomat had to speak uh, Russian, Pashto, uh, Hindi, you know, I mean, all these different languages. And so we got people from UCSD for the price of opening night tickets to work with me, teach it to me, and then do a few sessions with the actor and me so that we could get them to speak those languages well, um, uh, or as well as the characters were supposed to speak them. Um, so there's a lot of, it's a very interesting job. And then with yeah. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, there's um, the rhythm of the verse, the scansion, and sometimes there's no sort of book out there that says this is exact scansion for every play, but there are something, there are some kind of rules, and there's, you know, nobody's going to say galapa pace, you fiery-footed steeds. Most people say galapa pace. Right. But then, but just, but just saying, you know, you have that there, that's a clue to the energy that Juliet has coming into that scene. So, so helping just, so having my base that I've scanned the whole script and then I can offer them, here's another way to scan that, or here's why I think this is, this is more useful for you or juicier for you if we scan it this way, or here's two ways to scan it. You can choose either one, but, but this will keep the rhythm going. And, um, and then I work on things like, um, well, all the rhetoric, you know, yeah, it's, sure. it's one thing to, to uh, see the antithesis, to see that to be or not to be, but they have to make some kind of choice with their voice, pitch, pace, volume, quality, so that we hear those two differences. Um, if there's a build to the speech, if there's, we call them ladders, if the speech builds like Rosalind when she's talking about how Orlando and Celia, uh, um, Oliver and Celia fell in love, there's a, there's a build to that speech that's almost like falling in love at first sight 
in how it's written. So helping the actor find pace, pitch, volume, quality, mm-hmm. some choice to help them build. And sometimes, you know, uh, actors will already instinctively know these things, but maybe I can support that and say, I see you're doing this. And they might not know that they're even doing it. Say, oh, oh, I guess I have a build there. Mm-hmm. And then, well, what does that mean for the scene? Right. Um, uh, so, so alliteration, assonance, onomatopoeia, um, synesthesia, and, uh, you know, anaclusion, there are all kinds of fancy names for just ways that the good writers find to create, um, different kinds of, of, um, uh, language, uh, ideas that, that illuminate the story. Cause we always say, what does, why is the character using this piece of rhetoric and what, um, what does it do for the scene or the story? Well, that was an amazing answer, <laughs> full of a lot of. I, I I learned a lot more than I thought I was going to learn on that because just and and what what I love about that, the word that kept coming up for me was advocate. That it, it sounds like you are an advocate for the actor, you are an advocate for the production, you are an advocate for the text. That there's all these ways that you are using your your gifts and 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 your talents. To say, okay, how can how, how can on each level we bring out this as as much as we can? Oh, well, I just wanted to respond to that lovely thing you said uh, years ago when I was in um, voice teaching school. Voice school. Uh, I went to the Central School of Speech and Drama, which is now mm-hmm. the Royal Central School of right. Speech and Drama, yep. in London for a year, and I did my sort of thesis on voice coaching and the difference between voice coaching in this country and in hmm. London or England. And, uh, and was able to speak with the great Cicely Berry, who wrote, if you have, if you don't know them, people out there, uh, voice for the actor, uh, the actor and the text. She's written some great books on working on Shakespeare. And I said to her, I said, so what do you do when you just cannot get the actor to say it the way, you know, you think it'll, 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 it, it, it's better for the story or the play or, or the, and she said, it's really not that important. <laughs> she said, uh, you know, what? You know, she said, um, it's an incredible act of courage to put your heart and soul and voice onto a stage and share it with people. Um, and uh, you cannot take any of that bravery away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then another person, uh, Patsy Rodenberg, who is, works for the National Theater and the mm-hmm, Guildhall, mm-hmm. um, she's written a couple of great books too, The Need for Words, um, uh, and, um, The Right to Speak, wonderful book. Um, and she, uh, she said, um, I take a look at my notes, cause then what I'll do is I'll watch a run through and I'll take a lot of notes. Um, the lift this antithesis here. This is an operative word. You're losing the line ending. This is a, this metaphor could have a little more blah, blah, blah. And, um, she would say, I, I take my, I look at all my notes at the end of a run and I say, which ones of these are about my ego? <laughs> mm. And then I cross those out. And then she also said to me, at the end of a half hour session or an hour session that you're working with an actor, she said, they should have three concrete things to take away. So, you know, it's very important that uh, we're practical and we are, uh, you know, incre- and, and, and I feel like sometimes it takes a while to get people to trust that, you know, what you sure. have to say is going to, especially people that have done it for a long time. 
Um, I did a show at the Globe. I'm now I'm not going to drop any names, but um, you know, it was a very very uh, established, phenomenal talent, and um, he he had um, fight call and costume call and and rehearsals and was in pretty much every scene. And I kept saying, you know, I just really think that I might have something to offer if, if I could get him. Well, he's just not available. And the stage manager was kind of protecting me from him. Mm-hmm. And I said, she said, and every morning he has to run lines at 8 a.m. He runs lines before we start. And I said, I'll run lines with him. And so then I said, I slept down to the globe at 8 a.m., and ran lines, and then I could say, hey, this line isn't quite what it says here, and I think it's much juicier if you can switch this around. I had no idea. So then, of course, we have a week to open, and he's like, how am I, how can I see her again? <laughs> again? So sometimes we just have to, they just have to trust that, um, that we're there for them and to serve right. them and to serve the process. And directors are sometimes like that. But I like to meet with the directors early on mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and get a relationship. And, and, and actually, uh, cuts are really an interesting thing. Uh, that's why I love dramaturgs, because we can work together to advocate for um, a, a cut that keeps the rhythm. Sure. Sense. We don't lose something that we're going to need later. Right. Um, and also, I think most dramaturgs and, and voice coaches have, have already heard the play. So especially when you're working with a new director, it may look, the cut may look good on the page, but if you, if you haven't heard it, you don't realize there's a huge rhythm loss or mm-hmm. there's a huge mm-hmm. build loss. And so, um, so we say, you know, wait till you hear it and then decide if you're going to cut it or, or here's another way to cut it that I think you'll, you won't lose the joke or you won't lose the, right. the bada bing. Well, I, I mean, as you brought up with, with dramaturgs, I, I mean, and it does sound like, and, and, and from what you've shared with me elsewhere that, you know, you, you can do that work as well, but it, uh, it does sound like, well, A, there, there's such a symbiotic relationship between the, the dramaturgy and, and the voice. Um, but then, uh, you know, as, as an actor myself, once you're exposed to that kind of work, like almost your experience with that older actor, you don't even want to go on stage without this stuff because you realize how much these people can bring to your performance. And it's almost like a door opens. You go, wait, wait a second. What, what have I been doing up to this point? Like there's, there's all this stuff I didn't even consider. Um, and, I mean, I'll, and I'll just bring up a, a personal example. I, I have, I got the chance to play Richard the third a few years ago. And we were doing an outdoor production, no amplification in this park. And there were, there was a basketball court in the, in the distance. And, and, you know, the, the world did not stop just because we were doing Richard the third. And, <laughs> and, and pretty early on, I knew I, I had to find a voice teacher and I was in Chicago at the time. And, uh, I, I happened to, you know, uh, find one and I worked with her and, and she had more of a, a singing background, but it, it still, it, it helped immensely because I knew, how am I going to be able to do, you know, if I put Richard's all, all of his lines together, I was speaking for an hour straight. And, and it was, it was similar to, uh, the experience you, I think, uh, you, well, you mentioned, you know, it was where was water stationed? Where was tea stationed? Where were snacks stationed? I mean, cause there was so much, it was as much about the physical demands, uh, of, of being able to produce the sound needed as the emotional demands of, of making sure I could do this night after night. So, I mean, it is, and, and that, very clearly brought home for me of how important it was to pay attention to my voice. It wasn't just, am I making sense of the language? Am I emoting correctly in these scenes? Am I, you know, am I present? It was like, can I, can I physically produce this? And and it just, it, you know, not, not, 
you may not always have that opportunity to see it, but it, I, I think, you know, as you were saying with the sessions, even these, these half hour, hour sessions, an, an actor can see like how something can be tweaked just a little bit that can really bring out, um, you know, a lot more meaning or, or connection with, for them with the material and the audience too. And, 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 uh, and, and a warm up, you know, yes. sometimes, uh, the great Robert Joy, one of the most, his name is perfect. He's one of the most delightful <laughs> human beings in the American theater. Uh, when he was doing Malvolio at the Globe said, um, can you just do a warm up with me? And I'll record it. And I think, sure. You know, so we warmed up together and he, I, I he's, I'm for Facebook friends. And whenever I say happy birthday, he writes back, still doing your warm up. <laughs> and I was like, I could record something new for you, but you know, there's, the, uh, any time, you know, and, and he had plenty of training, but it'd been a while and mm-hmm. he wanted uh refreshment, just breath work, just resonance work, just open throat work. You know, um, uh, that's another thing that I have to offer. And, and last year, uh, a couple of years ago, I had a singer, fabulous singer who d- really couldn't, uh, the st- her stage voice was very high because she was a high soprano. And so for uh, all the way through, every time there was a run through, we warmed up together to find her speaking voice. And then she recorded all of those and then used them all through the run after I left town, you know, so, um, so that's, a, just, you know, that's just another thing. And, yeah. you know, sometimes people say, I don't know where to breathe in this speech. Mm-hmm. And so I can help with that and, right. and, and the different kinds of breath you need. I just learned an amazing thing about neuroscience that there are different parts of the brain. You exhale different ways. The sigh uh-huh. is in one part of the brain. The breath for sort of sleeping is in another part mm-hmm. of the brain. That the thought, that, that a yawn is in another place. A sniff is in another place. That, um, the thought and the breath, which Cicely would always say, are completely, uh, uh, connected and specific to certain, mm-hmm. cer- certain, the cry, the laugh, they're all different. And so, um, so, 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 so sometimes you just don't know if you're just working on it technically and then you go and you say, well, now why couldn't I breathe during that run? Right. Well, because, uh, you know, things were happening. So how do we get you a little safety net? For if I need another breath, here's a good spot. Right, need, right. You know, it's like I say, sometimes you're doing a show and you're, you're driving a Prius and you can get a long way on one breath, you know, and sometimes your, um, car is not as, <laughs> it's not as, it's, and especially when you're working outdoors, some sure. of the humidity is going to make a difference. Yes, yeah. The cold air is going to make a difference. And so if you can put in the gas stations on your AAA map of your speech, <laughs> Then you can say, if my car isn't getting the gas mileage I thought, then I know I can stop here and get gas, as right. opposed to the middle of a breath or running out of breath, mm-hmm. which people do. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the, the warm-up stuff, because I, I remember, and, and sometimes people are at a loss of, well, what do I do? I remember finding uh, uh, these videos that Patsy Rodenberg had done for the National Theater, and I and I downloaded them, and I would listen to them, because I would have a 45-minute drive in Chicago to get to the theater, and I was doing her vocal warm-ups with these, you know, two actors, and so I would just run through those, because it's like, well, I need I need to warm up, you know, before I get, because when I hit the theater, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to deal with, so, you know, it was, it was all part of the prep and, and, and I love the, the conversation about, uh, tying the, the breath to it. And, and I read, um, I think on your, on your UCSD page that you talk about or that you believe the breath is the answer 
to um, the, the character, the moment, and the, and the story. And and I think a, a great way to kind of talk about that, maybe a little specifically, are are the, those O's in in Shakespeare and 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 the breath needed and and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, could, could you just? I, I'm sure we could talk about this for an hour, but just unpack a little bit about. Because for a lot of actors, they may not, they may just see that O on the page and go, Oh, it's O, you know, or that, that kind of thing. And so how, how do you, how do you start yeah. to talk to actors about that? Yeah. I mean, I did a lecture once for 12th night, uh, presentation uh, called the big O, uh, because I felt <laughs> how important, well, you've got the O, Viola, you know, it's not pronounced big O, but she's there. There's an O there. There's Malvolio. There's Olivia. There's Orsino. It's, mm. The O is big in Twelfth Night, and love is big in Twelfth Night. The L and the V and Malvolio, Olivia, right. and, yes, and yeah. Viola. Um, uh, L-O-V in all three of those. Uh, I think of it as like a, a gas valve, you know, because mm. Shakespeare is very smart. He doesn't, uh, and also he... He, he knew actors like to pause even then. And so he, he lets things tumble, but he also knows that sometimes there needs to be a release of feeling. And rather than washing the text, which is crying all the way through or stopping to have some emotion and then going back to the words, that oh is kind of a place for you to let that come through. And, um, we're doing, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream at UCSD right now with brilliant, brilliant Patricia McGregor, and she calls it the magic O, and she just says, um, just play, you know, what isn't, there's so many ways to play with O, you know, mm-hmm. oh, she is one of this confederacy or whatever, um, yep. you know, there's just a million, um, uh, don't let it go by, because mm-hmm. it is an opportunity to release, so that when you get back to the language, uh, then you can tumble, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and let it, and let it flow through. And, and oftentimes he gives you not just an O, oh, but vengeance, vengeance, oh, the devils. He gives you a whole little right. set of swear words, you know, so that you can release and then go back to your argument or what you're trying to persuade or what you're trying to figure out. What I think that brings up is, is something you touched on earlier that uh, I think it's, uh, Cicely mentioned that, that bravery, bravery required that, and I think I've heard a lot of teachers talk about that some actors, if, if they don't feel, if they're not feeling that bravery, they, they may just skirt right over that O and as a ra- rather than really trying to use it. And, and it's, it seems like it would be doing them a disservice that that, that's there for you to just kind of jump onto and, it's and a use. Gift. It's a yeah. gift. I would say so much of the text work is about, um, I call it, uh, uh, aerobics if you're listening to it. Or aerobics, if you're looking at it, um, that, you know, if once you start to see, oh, I have antithesis here, I have alliteration here, I have, um, uh, you know, just listening to the incredible uh, work that Amanda Gorman did with her speech mm, um, yes, at, at the, the inauguration, inauguration yeah. just uh, just the way she used rhyme, the way she used um, uh, uh, the uh, repeated uh, vowel sound or or alliteration or build or antithesis, you know, all through it. Um, it if you can see it, then it's yours to help you convince the person what you need to convince them of or figure mm-hmm. the dilemma out. If you don't see it, you have to create so much of the emotion. You have to, you have to, 
you have, you're starting with nothing, right? A, a, as opposed to allowing the language to kind of teach you what's happening, and then letting it. I mean, uh, Henry Warnes would always say, um, "You're the vessel, you know. Let it come through you." And then it's actually quite a joy. It's like um, in Gaelic, you don't read the book; the book reads you. Mm-hmm. You know. So if you let the text play you. Um, it, it, it's, there's a freedom in that. And this doesn't mean it has to come out the same way every time, you know, but, but if you can see all these little gifts and, uh, it's kind of like a piece of music that you wouldn't just look at the piece of music and say, Oh, I'm just going to make up the tune. It's there for you. Right. Uh, right. Uh, a good, uh, a good old story. I, I'm going to drop more names now. I had the great, uh, great privilege to work with Tony Church on, both the dresser and King Lear. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would always say before I played Goneril with him uh-huh. and that, uh, and before the, um, the show, we were waiting around, tell us a story, tell us a story. And he had done Paris with Dame Edith Evans as the nurse. And she said, he asked her, uh, you know, or they, they was all sitting around her knee and saying, um, you know, how do you do it the same every time? And she said, well, by now, and I'm not going to do a beautiful, perfect British accent here. By now, my darling, I know the notes. But what happens to me at the point of speaking is between me and my maker. You know, and I just, <laughs> just love the idea that, you know, there's a score. It's music. And right. you respect the, the scansion, you respect, you know, the, the, the little things that are in the text, but that you will, but when you have that structure, you can relax and breathe and, and whatever, you know, you, the look in Juliet's eyes is going to make you say it in a certain way, um, but you're not going to sing a different song. You're going to sing the song that's on the page. So, um, uh, I just think that that was so refreshing because, she was uh, very consistent. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, I mean, we could talk for a long time about this, but it, like a lot of other uh, parts of, of acting in theater, it's that balance between technique and being present. You know, that, that's, uh, voice is just another, another part of that. Um, how are you doing on time? I won't keep you too, too much longer, but, uh, it's two, two thirty now. Well, how long did you want this to be? Well, well I mean, we, we, we could talk for another hour, but we won't we talk could. for another hour. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to just see if anyone on the call had any questions and, and Absolutely. we could maybe go for another 10 or 15 minutes and, and, and that's fine. That's great. okay with you. Yeah. So, um, if you have any questions for, uh, Ursula, you can either put them in the chat or if you want to come on camera or on mic, uh, we can, we can open that up. Uh, uh Madeline, I see you're there. Uh, did you have a question? Yes. I love this idea you talked about with the O's. I just wonder if you can give an example. Right off the top of my head, I know that, oh, that too, too solid uh, flesh, uh, Melthon resolve itself into a dew, or oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. Yeah, uh, a lot of just times. A, from Hamlet. Yeah, a, a lot oh, of times. You mean age, not just all O's. Uh, sometimes it's spelled just O, and sometimes it's spelled O-H. Oh, it's the exclamation O you're talking Yes, yes, yes. the exclamation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of times, both the examples that Nathan uh, gave, they kick the speech off. So you don't have to go, pause, I feel ready, I can speak. You can use the O to launch yourself. He's... 
very actor friendly Shakespeare, you know.、Uh, and then sometimes there's an O in the middle of a speech or in the middle of a of a、um, that 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 can launch a, a section of the speech where there's a shift. You know, or we call it anti-rhetoric when things are flowing along and the the character is caught up in some emotion and they can't go forward. Like Posthumus suddenly speaking about his feeling that his wife has betrayed him because he's been told that she has, and like Leontes and Othello and all these guys that Claudio that believe. Believe what they hear without going to their wives and saying, "Is this true?"、Um, he's talking and talking and talking about his mother and how pure his mother was and how pure his wife was and how that it's all gone to hell. And he's stopped by, "Oh, all the devils!" or "Oh, vengeance, vengeance!" He he can't. Uh, keep going, but it's not stop and just make noise. It's 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 a nice short, but potent, uh, uh, big, big shape. Always a big shape.、Um, I often say when people are saying、uh, I'm not loud, the director says I need to be louder. I say look for the open vowels, or I need to release this emotion that's getting all caught in my throat. Look for the open vowels. Oh, ah. I, ow, those big vowels you can get that emotion out on so that you don't feel strangled. So I just say, play with them. It could be an oh, you know, or it could be oh, what a noble mind is here or thrown. She launches that speech with the sad oh. There's just so much variety. It's a he's a very good director, Shakespeare. He's a good director of his own work. He gives you the right word at the end of the line to lift. He tells you where to pause. Sometimes there's a dash, you know, and two two words missing, and it's just the right amount, or two beats missing, and it's just the right amount of time for you to have a thought and go on.、Um, so, oh, it's just a part of a, of that whole lovely toolkit. Toolkit. I mean, they're tools, not rules, as Patricia McGregor would say.、Uh, sometimes the O could be short, but I would say explore every time and just see what you get. That's rehearsal. All right, great. Thank you,、uh, Madeline. Really, really appreciate the question.、Um, and、uh, yeah, if anyone has any other questions,、uh, feel free to chime in. We'll. we'll uh, uh, We won't keep、uh, Ursula too much longer. She's got a full day of、uh, teaching, and we have some scene work coming up later. So, and I'm excited、uh, for that.、Um, I, I had another question:、uh, is you know, is is there something that you've noticed that older actors or actors that have been working for a long time can do with more speed and efficiency that? If if younger actors embrace that or, or focused on that, they'd be able to get a little bit further in their career. Just one of those things that oh well, since they've been doing it for a long time, they're a little bit more proficient with X thing. Yeah, yeah, I believe in、uh, experience. Wine, cheese, not cheese, <laughs> but but certainly yeah, some cheese. Uh, uh, it's become less of a speaking society. We don't speak as much. The kids、uh, at UCSD, you know, not not the theater classes, but in so many classes, they can go through their whole day without ever speaking, just taking notes, listening, sure, texting a question in the chat, you know,、um, and so reading out loud or 
or the art of conversing mm-hmm. uh, is something that um, uh, a more mature actor, I'm not going to say old, mature actor has uh, just, a, just a little bit of life time without screens and without texting where the, the where the language was is still in their body as more and and when we text we use the shortest words possible and so multisyllabic phrases and things are or long thoughts my my uh, teacher used to say read dickens read mm-hmm. it out loud long thoughts so breath support is there's more of a demand on your breath when you have a longer thought because you have to sure. keep that ball in the air um, the other thing is operative words. Um, we're kind of been ruined. We've been ruined for a while, but we're but we're definitely ruined by uh, advertising. You know, go down to the mall and get your copy <laughs> of the new uh, of the new. I mean, every word, the right. your to, to yeah, all words that you can't draw. And I say, when you're in Shakespeare, you want to stress the words you can draw because oh, they great. carry the meaning. Also, we're obsessed with so. I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. I'm so excited. I'm so worried. All sounding exactly the same. Hugely different emotions. Right. I'm so right. tired. I'm so excited. I'm so angry. You know. So all of the so getting off of the so and the very to the words is something that um, has degenerated over time. I think because of how we now converse. So sure, yeah, go ahead. Sure. I think uh, I have another question here. Maybe okay. when you said words you can draw, what did you mean by that? I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, if I have um, if I have uh, a word a sentence like "but soft, what light through yonder window breaks," um, I can I can draw. I can even I can draw soft. I could draw a bunny or a blanket. I can draw a uh, window. I can draw light, you know, I can, I can draw breaks. I could draw something, you know, cracked or something. Hard to draw, but the... You mean binding, binders and fillers. To, yes, but you'd be surprised how many people will stress the words that don't carry the, 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 the sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's uh, and so, so sometimes I say, uh, you can have three, two or three at the most words per line. Let them be words you can draw, um, uh, to, to lift. Or is, or you have an entire speech and every word costs a million dollars. So be, be, you have money, but you don't, you're not Bill Gates. Uh, so you, you can only spend so much. So what are you going to leave back? So that there is a, that, that there is a plot. Mel, the plot energy, then maybe there's harmony that's behind there, adjectives and adverbs, but the nouns and the verbs you want sent front and center. And then those words where they're not unimportant unless, um, but yet, um, uh, through, they, they have an importance, but the, it's usually, uh, in service. They're often at the beginnings of lines, those words. Um, they, 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 they are in service to where you're headed, which is breaks, sun, moon, grief. And the last word of the line, you know, Ian McKellen's wonderful exercise is just read the last word of your text, if it's in verse, uh, each, each final word, and you get almost a mini poem of the speech. Like my example from the 
Romeo's uh, speech in the balcony scene, breaks, sun, moon, grief, are the first four last words. That's the whole play, right? Two opposing objects break apart, sun and moon, and everybody cries. You know, so, so, um, so, uh, uh, you know, it, it behooves us to put our energy onto those words as opposed to pronouns, negatives, those are less powerful unless you're doing never, 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 never at the end of King Lear. Then you need your negatives. But <laughs> but that's after three hours of, of, of being, uh, saying on the positive. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I would just say, can, could I draw this in some fashion? And then I know it's worth serving up. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. I don't think British actors are all better than American actors at doing Shakespeare, but English was born there. And so there is a little bit of a, uh, you know, in their DNA, uh, a stressing of the words that carry the sense. If you said, uh, in, 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 in England, if the, the, I'm sorry I was late, there was a traffic jam, um, a, a, a British person would probably say, I'm sorry it was late, there was a traffic jam. Sorry, late, traffic jam. That's the, the, the rest of it is, uh, I'm sorry, it was late, there was a traffic jam. Whereas we, a lot of us have learned English, um, you know, as a second language or from parents who learned it as a second language. And we will tend to say, I'm sorry I was late. There was a traffic jam and it takes this much time. And we will give, we'll give the pronoun importance because in America, particularly I, the individual is a little more celebrated. Um, and, uh, so, so we have to kind of fight that whole, culture that we grew up in or that we hear on TV and in radio and and in our public speakers unfortunately except for a few of them which are, <laughs> I, I'm very excited but the about the British they do speak faster in general too don't they yeah yeah but it, but it's easier it's easy to understand I'm sorry it was late there was a traffic jam because the the operative words are there so mm. um that's when wanna... that's when we teach accents so we we talk about rattle rattle bing Bing is the operative. Rattle, you can just fly through. And in Shakespeare, that's sometimes quite useful. Yeah. I want to uh, jump over to Howard. It looks like he has his hand oh, raised. So, sorry. Howard. Uh, oh, no, no, you're you're fine. Let me uh, see if I can. Uh, Hi, Howard. Hi. I just raised my hand. Um, I had a question about, you know, the process of line learning and the voice because I, I don't I don't know how other people do it. I only know how I do it. But I tend to, like, kind of sit in my room. And say the thing to myself over and over and over and over in this kind of sub vocal, sub vocalization. And by the time I'm done a month from now, after I've learned to part, my voice is just trashed from all, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like all this kind of whispering and kind of, you know, is, do you have a process or a technique or recommendation for that? Well, first of all, uh, and a change in a habit is 99% awareness. So you're aware of it. So you're probably going to change just because you're aware of that's happening and you don't want it to happen. I would say if you are running, you know, you, like t- tonight I have to be memorized and I got the copy today and I have to film tomorrow, then you're having to, then you're having to do that kind of rote memorization. And so you have to do it over and over. So I would just have lots of water, tea. The vocal folds are fish. They are not happy with dryness. And sometimes when we're breathy and we're a little bit in our throats and over and over, that breath can really dry out your voice. 
And so you're going to feel hoarse or raspy sooner. But I would say move. When you're doing your text, walk, move around your room. Then you're liable to breathe better. Your muscles less tense. They're more, they're more relaxed. And, and I would say, I mean, I, I kind of believe on doing exercises with text to the point where you look at it and you go, oh my gosh, I know it. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, let's look at the punctuation and do it. Let's look at the metaphors and do it. Let's, let's blah, 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 blah and do it. Let's whisper it. Let's do it with a pitch range all over the place. And then, so never really, um, you know, never sitting down and going until, you know, you're about to go to rehearsal and you want to make sure that you're not substituting one word for another. But, but I would say, um, even, even putting it in your own words a couple of times. So you, the ideas are in you. And then when the memorization comes, it's a little less nitpicky. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, Shakespeare does turn things around. Are not you he instead of aren't you him? You know, uh, well, that would be are not you he. But, um, but we, but, 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 but the student will want to say, are you not he for some reason? And so scansion sometimes helps with that. So you, you memorize the rhythm of it and then the rhythm of it is in you. And so when it's wrong, you can say, Oh, that's not quite right. What I did. Let me look at the text again. So, um, uh, but I would say play with as many different ways. Do it on your back. Do it playing, you know, uh, throwing a ball around, uh, so that it's never becomes sort of rote. The other thing is when you're, when you're working on it like this, when you're working on it on your back of your throat, you're, you're using the same frequency of vibration of your vocal folds over and over again. And when you do the lines in the show, you're gonna want, it, you're not gonna want it to come out exactly the same way every time either. So you don't want to rehearse that habit of saying it that way. So I would say, sometimes I'm going to do it this way, sometimes I'm going to do it that way, and just keep playing with that. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Really appreciate yeah, uh, the question. Yeah. No, that was great. Uh, and, and, uh, Ursula, I want to be, um, mindful of your time and, and, uh, cause I know and, you get a, a busy schedule and, and, and lots. also, I, I'm a voice teacher when I think I must speak. So I, I could go on talking a long time and I'm sure people, other people have things they need to right. do. No, no, but it, it's great. And, and I, and I appreciate, uh, you know, you, it's, it's funny cause we talk about, you know, the, the importance of communication of, of conversation. Uh, it, it's like none of us want to become those stodgy old, dusty English professors that are that are banging on their books of you have to do this this and this but it is important uh, and and I think we we are captivated by examples in modern society of people that know how to do this I mean as you brought up Amanda uh, the the poet laureate at the inauguration uh, when when somebody really knows how to do it it just kind of stops you in your tracks and and I think a, yeah. a good performance a good actor can do the same so um, and I know as, a, as an audiobook narrator, almost 90% of it is voice. Uh, and so it's, it's just what you were talking about, the, the lengths of sentences, the breath, the, the vocal variation, it's uh, the prep, it's all. And, and so as an actor, you not just with Shakespeare and theater, you can see how all of this can apply to other voiceover work or commercial work. You know, there's just so many ways that, you know, once you learn to use your voice as a tool, uh, then there's just so many ways you can go with it. And it's primal. I mean, when you're little, you love rhymes, you love alliteration, you love um, melody, and it's sad that we feel like when, as we get older we have to throw those things away uh, because they affect us so deeply that the, 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 the lullabies, the, 
the, the, the, the Dr. Seuss of our, of our childhood, um, it's still all in there and it appeals to right. us. And so yeah, I was we, blown away from the, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, from Amanda Gorman, I was really blown away. Wow, she has trained so perfectly for this performance. And I wondered, was that from Stanford? Did she get that? How did she get that training? Like, I was wondering how consciously she did that training or she was just talented or, you know. There's some wonderful interviews with her. She listened to Hamilton. That was one way. Uh, thank you, Lynn Manuel. Uh, but she also, and she worked on her R, she had, she couldn't say R's, so she worked very hard on that. Mm. So the speaking part of it, not just the writing part of it, was very important to her. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to know how, where she got her hand gestures, because yes, they were yeah, so beautiful. Yeah, were great. Those were great. <laughs> but, um, but I, I know, that I, was so. I don't think it was an accident. I mean, she's incredibly gifted, but no, I think yeah, she worked I, really hard. Yeah. Any, any, anything like that, you, you, you can tell or you know that a lot of work went into it. Uh, you know, yeah. very, very few people can pull that off by just, uh, winging it. So I'm, I'm sure. And, and yeah, there are some great interviews about, uh, you know, challenges she had, things she was insecure about, things she worried about. Uh, and, and I think she really, you know, knocked it out of the park. But, um, uh, Ursula, thank you so much for, for sharing you're some welcome. of your, thank some you of your for inviting me into your houses. <laughs> oh, you're very, very welcome. Yeah. All right. No. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're very welcome. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, this is Nathan one more time. Thanks so much for listening to the Q&A with Ursula. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Again, as I mentioned, I learned a lot about what voice teachers and voice coaches do. Some of the things I knew, some of the things I never even thought about, you know, the stuff about costumes and lights. and I mean, it's just amazing all the ways that these people can be involved in the production and really help bring it to another level. So, again, just like I said with Gideon, if you are uh, available or, or uh, part of the creative team or deciding team of who you can involve on your next production, don't forget about dramaturgs. Don't forget about voice coaches. There, there's some wonderful, wonderful people out there. Uh, and again, two quick reminders. We have the final workshop performances February 8th through 12th that you can sit in and attend live. We have wonderful Shakespeare scenes from A Midsummer Night's Dream, Julius Caesar, King John, and As You Like It featuring a number of uh, fantastic actors from the podcast, including Angie Bird, Jeffrey Wade, Peter Van Norden, and Gigi Birmingham. Lots of other fantastic, wonderful people. So please check those out. Uh, Again, you can sign up. All four nights are free. Get a ticket. Even if you can't make it live, we'll send you a replay. And then the other part, don't miss out on the coaching. This is something, again, we're really excited being able to bring all this wisdom and years of experience directly to you Go to workingactorsjourney.com to learn more about the coaching. Again, there are already pages live. We'll be adding more coaches as time goes on. But that is it. Thank you so much for checking out this Q&A with Ursula. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at WAJ Podcast uh, or Facebook or Instagram or wherever you are. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'd love to keep the conversation going. If you have uh, further questions for Ursula, uh, she would be thrilled to talk about this for hours and hours Uh, she was really gracious with her time and i'm so grateful that she could be part of this and that she can be part of uh, the work we're doing and i hope maybe someday she can be part of the work you're doing all right that is it take care i'm nathan agan and enjoy the journey